Hey there, thank you for joining us for Schoolside Podcast. Great topic tonight, and I am uh, for sure outnumbered with Connecticut people. <laughs> but, uh, my name is Rachel, and I'm a school psychologist working in uh, Maryland. I'm going to pass it over to Rebecca to tell everybody about how you can participate tonight. Rebecca? Hi, everybody. So you can participate by commenting. If you're watching us on YouTube Live, you can comment right alongside the video screen by logging in, signing into your uh, YouTube Google account. And you can also use the hashtag psychedpodcast on Twitter and comment or message me on either of the Facebook pages, School Psyched, Your School Psychologist, or the School Psyched Podcast page. I'll be looking out for notifications and looking forward to hearing all of your questions and thoughts. And now my fellow Connecticuteer, I, I love that word up and I forgot it. Um, here's Eric. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm Eric and also in Connecticut. And our esteemed guest is also in Connecticut. So um, we'd like to introduce Dr. Heidi McDonald. She is a school psychologist in, uh, in Connecticut and earned her doctorate at uh, the University of, uh, at Penn State University. She currently works at an intermediate school with grades three through five. And prior to moving to Connecticut, she worked in the state of Pennsylvania. This is her 20th year in the field and she loves her job and school psychology and strives to be a piece of the puzzle at her school. Um, at work, she enjoys assessment, individual and group counseling and consultation and runs a number of extracurricular clubs, such as environmental club, sign language club, and drama club. She's also the school's Title IX, uh, Title IX coordinator and keeper of the school's two emotional support guinea pigs. I'm interested <laughs> in hearing about uh, these little fellows. Um, and uh, and an axolotl. Axolotl, uh, which is a salamander with gills, right? Yeah. That, yeah. Okay. I, I still will struggle to pronounce that. <laughs> Outside of work, she enjoys spending time with her husband, who's also a school psychologist, and their 15-year-old daughter. And she loves volunteering on a number of committees, working out, cooking, DIY projects, and thrift store finds, which I think a lot of us can relate to. I know I can. So uh, that's exciting. Um, Rebecca also posted a poll. And um, so Heidi's going to speak to us tonight about words to live by, uh, some advice for school psychologists. And our poll was, as an early career school psychologist, um, what's a topic that you wish you knew more about when entering the field, whether you were thinking about yourself in the past or even currently in your career? Um, and our two top uh, choices were academic interventions and um, crisis, I'm sorry, behavioral interventions. We also had uh, risk assessment and crisis and counseling goals um, running behind. So, um, so we're excited to talk about words to live by for school psychologists. I think we all sometimes, um, you know, work in a vacuum and uh, sometimes need to figure out how we fit into that puzzle and uh, what are some words of advice that we can uh, learn from Dr. McDonald tonight and, uh, and take back with us. So Heidi, take it away. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I really do appreciate it. I am super excited about this. So I am going to show my um, lack of mastery with regard to technology and hope that I can do this screen share. So I think, tell me if I'm right. It's, uh, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Can you see it? Very nice. You did it. All right. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. So um, it is, I guess, an understatement to say that I love my career. And 
this is my 20th year in the field, which is hard to believe. And I would say that I love my career even more now than I did when I first started. Um, I think I was blessed to sort of fall into this. I did not have experience with a school psychologist when I was in school. I'm sure we had one, but I did not, I don't know who that person is or was. Um, and just in sort of this journey of trying to figure out what might be the best fit for me in the psychology field, I um, was fortunate enough to work with a few school psychologists um, in one of my jobs in between um, actually grad school and grad school again, and um, figured out that school psychology might be the way to go. And I am so incredibly lucky and so thankful that I found that. So I really do finally feel like this is a perfect fit for me. Um, so that's me, uh, school psychologist words to live by. And the, I guess the tagline for this would be, I have made every one of these mistakes. And my my thinking in putting this together, um, a number of years ago, I had been contacted, I think through maybe the, a NASP listserv or something. There was a um, university supervisor that was looking for some working mentors for interns. So the interns, school psych interns had a, um, a placement somewhere, and then they also had these virtual mentors. And so this particular student that I was matched up with, every week I would get a fairly scripted uh, question that for to answer just some um, different maybe practices or policies or uh, opinions on things. And we would just communicate via email. And then the very last week of the semester, the question was, um, what else would you like to tell me about this field? And I don't sleep much at all. And so I do a lot of my work in the middle of the night. And I remember sitting on my couch at about two or three in the morning, typing this email to this young lady. And it ended up being paragraphs and paragraphs long um, about just words that I, or words of wisdom that I really would like to impart on her. So that's how this presentation sort of came to be. Very so. cool. I feel like you could make a book too. <laughs> I would love that someday, I think. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that'd be great. So like I said, I have made every single one of these mistakes that is in this um, PowerPoint. And to be honest, and I think total transparency, none of this is empirically validated or researched. This is just really my experience in the field. So my hope was that my hindsight might be your foresight, especially for students who are just starting out in the field. Um, and also with the fine print of this is my 20th year. So I have the flexibility to do some of the things that I'm going to talk about that I did not have in my first one to five years, probably. Um, so I think we're just going to sort of maybe there's one piece of this that you can take away. And that's really my only hope. Um, my big philosophy about my job is to just be a piece of the puzzle. I remember so much in graduate school, the professors talking about um, how we were um, at very high risk of just becoming testing drones. And I have attempted to craft my career so that testing is certainly a piece and a very important piece, but also to become a piece of the puzzle within my school. I am fortunate enough to be in one school, um, which was not the case when I was in Pennsylvania. When I did my internship, um, in central Pennsylvania. And then the four years after that, when I remained in that district, 
Um, on a good year, I had five schools. Um, on a really rough year, I had six. Um, so you couldn't even get to each one of them for a full day out of the week. And it was hard to be a piece of the puzzle in any of those schools, given um, just the time constraints. So um, I'm in one school now and can do a lot of different things. And I, I really, really enjoy that part of it. So, okay, so here we go. Um, one of the things that I try to do all the time is to slow down because I feel like regardless of how many schools you have or how many hundreds or thousands of kids are on your caseload, we are all running at an incredible rate of speed. And I attempt to um, smile at kids, learn their names, say hello to them in the hallway, um, acknowledge when a kid has gotten a haircut, on a Friday when some of my little guys are wearing their football jerseys to school, I ask, do you have a game this weekend? And then on Monday when I see them, I ask them how their game went. Um, I feel like that is so crucial for kids to have a connection with an adult outside of their classroom teacher um, in the school. And I am very confident that every kid in the school knows who I am. I go into classrooms, I do classroom lessons, I introduce myself to um, the third graders within the first couple of days of school. I go in and do a little um, um, presentation on how is Mrs. Potato Head like Dr. McDonald. Um, <laughs> and um, it's a great way for the kids to I think see what a school psychologist does in an intermediate school because my counterpart at the um, primary school, her practice is very different. Um, and it, and so I want them to understand um, how I fashion my job in my school. Um, I'm really big on eye contact. It's actually really hard right now to not be able to see you guys. It's really funny. Um, eye contact is the single best way to maintain intimacy in a relationship. And so I think in this day and age, if you think of um, even within um, the families that, that we work with, our own families, if we think back a few generations ago where we had smaller homes and we had one television and one bathroom and one family room, um, we had a lot more eye contact, a lot more intimacy, a lot more um, opportunity to communicate with one another and to problem solve and negotiate. And now we have in many of our towns and states, very, very large homes where children have, every child has their own bedroom and we have maybe four or five televisions. We don't even have to negotiate anymore about what um, television program we're going to watch. And we have multiple bathrooms and even husbands and wives have multiple bathrooms. So we have a real lack of intimacy and eye contact, I think, um, within our families. And so because I feel like that's such a crucial piece of the connection, one of the things that I always try to do when a child comes into my office or an adult comes into my office, the way that my desk is laid out, it's like an L-shaped desk and my computer monitor is kind of at the at the corner of those of that L and I physically turn my body away from my computer and zone in absolutely on that person because if not I think the temptation is as those notifications pop up on your computer that you are tempted to disengage from that conversation that's happening and your attention is drawn to something else and it's really really important I think for individuals to know that they are absolutely your priority, at least even for that small snippet of time. 
Um, that being said, one of my pet peeves is people who are multitasking in meetings. Um, and so, you know, everybody has in my district Chromebooks and the iPads and all of these things. And so sitting in meetings, we have um, all of our eligibility meetings or PPT meetings on Wednesdays. So it is not uncommon for me to sit in on, I'm going to say between eight and 12 meetings on a Wednesday. Um, it is very important for me to treat meeting number one and meeting number 12 exactly the same and give the same level of attention to those parents, regardless of what time it is during the day, and not be checking my email or be distracted with doing something for the next meeting. And um, I think, I, I mean, I see it a lot in meetings that people are multitasking. And I always just try to think about pretending that this was my one meeting of the year, not my 12th meeting today or my 100th meeting so far of the year. So it's just really important, I think, um, for parents who are attending these meetings when they have, believe that they have one time to really have an audience with um, the people who they are trusting their children and their children's education to, um, that we need to give them the utmost uh, attention within that 45 minutes or an hour. That is so true, and it's it's really hard, honestly. Um, I know that I struggle with it for sure, and I've even, um, you know, been, I had a situation where it, oftentimes I'm on my computer because I'm looking up information on the student kind of yeah. on the go because I've had so many meetings and, I, oh, I want to see the report card or, oh, I want to see the attendance. And so I'm, I'm pulling up that information as I'm, as I'm, you know, formulating questions and whatnot. Um, and I did have one situation where I'm pretty, you know, I was doing that. And afterwards, the parent had made a comment to another staff member that, oh, she didn't seem that interested. Uh, and I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, I, I mean, I had just I was looking at the prior report and I, I was being good in that meeting. Like, I'm not always <laughs> as good as I need to be. But I was just like, you know, it made me take a step back that, yeah. Um, it's not the impression that I want to give that I'm not interested in what's going on. Um, so it's, it's tough for sure. I agree also. And I just last year switched from taking paper and pen notes to Google drive notes. Yeah. And I really, I just, I need to write things down to remember them, but I always <laughs> preface my meetings and kind of explain that these are just, you know, things that I want to make sure to remember. And that helps me feel connected and, and uh, yeah, but I, I'll do that in every meeting, even if it's the third meeting of the year with the same people because, um, because of that. I totally agree. These are really good points. And I had never thought about the, the spread out homes and spaces um, and lack of intimacy, but, but I agree with that. That resonates with me too. Yeah. I think that I do try to make a point to parents when I'm, because often I'm the note taker um, if we're doing IEPs, we use IEP direct. And so I'm doing the minutes. Um, and I will say that most of the time we um, have the computer connected to a projector so that as I'm typing, people see what I'm typing. And, and then I guess I feel a little bit better. But actually, the last couple of weeks, the projector hasn't been working. And so I know that I've said, I'm just, I'm, I'm just over here taking the minutes or um, I'm just checking on something. But I think when, you know, 50% of the adults in the meeting are on their computers it really looks distracting. It, it looks like they're very distracted, not looking up things. So uh, yeah, but anyway, okay. Um, okay, so I always think about um, 
keeping my boss happy, but who is my boss? And, and I have been very um, vocal about this with employers that um, kids are my boss, um, I think, and they might not be the ones who pay my salary, but they are the people that I am trying to make happy, um, which may, means that sometimes I have to say things in meetings or something to an adult that may not necessarily make them feel happy or feel good because I feel as though I am the voice of the child at that meeting. Um, and when, when we have a meeting coming up, I will often say to the students that I'm working with, hey, we have a meeting coming up on you and I'm going to meet with your parents and your teachers. Is there anything that you would like me to tell them? Um, and so just sort of really having the, um, the thought that the person that I'm working for is the child, not necessarily the district or my principal or my director, but I'm really working for the child. Um, remembering how words can build people up or tear them down. Um, and I think that this is with regard to kids and adults. Um, I had um, a, an experience when I was in elementary school that a teacher had made a comment to me um, a fairly strong comment about um, something that I could not do. And in now as an adult, and I reflect back on that situation, I think that probably that person was having a bad day, maybe took their frustrations out on me when they shouldn't have. Um, but those words, really, even as an adult, I can recall those and I can think about how those have impacted some of the things that I believe that I can do or um, skills that I believe I have or that I don't have. Um, so, you know, I, I always really try to think about um, uh, leaving my personal life at the door and, you know, it's a clean slate as soon as I walk into school because if something's happening in my own personal life, it's not that kid's fault. And um, I need to be able to give them 100% of un unconditional positive regard, regardless of what's happening outside of the walls of the school. Um, so unconditional positive regard, I think, is, is crucial in this role, obviously. Um, every child, um, every adult uh, gets that. I. I believe from me um, and that I try to um, just consider where people might be and why they might be behaving in a particular way or saying certain things. I think most of the time with teachers uh, or parents being frustrated and it's easy to maybe pass judgment or um, believe that people aren't working as hard as, as they can or something like that, but always sort of reflecting back to my team, thinking about, um, you know, the experience that that parent might have or the experience that child might have or the experience that other, that other teacher might have. And uh, sort of thinking about wearing their shoes, being in their shoes, how would it feel to be them? Perhaps that's the way that or that's the reason why they are asking the questions that they're asking in the meeting or, you know, that they're very feel very strongly about something. Um, so just sort of considering where what their experience might be. So I think that the school psychologist must be the voice of reason, calm, compassion and sensitivity on the team. I had a professor one time who said 99% of the time people are doing the best that they can. And I have repeated that so many times in my career to my teams. 
because I think that never ever does a parent or a teacher or another adult wake up in the morning and say, I'm really going to try to mess up today. I'm really going to try to do a bad job as a parent today. Um, so people are, are doing the best that they can 99% of the time. And sometimes what their best is may not be what we believe their best should be, but I think that the school psychologist can help to bridge that gap. And that goes back a little bit to um, talk, saying something, sometimes having to say things to the adults that may not make them feel good. You know, if a child says, I really need this to happen and I'm not getting this, to convey that information to those adults so that we are able to meet the need of that child. Um, prepare to work a lot. And again, my disclaimer is I am probably a very bad role model for this part <laughs> because I think I've heard a lot that teachers work approximately 53 hours per week. I can tell you I work more than that. So that's probably not what my union wants to hear. Um, I think that any job that you try to do well is going to be hard. So you can pick any job. If you were a professional athlete, it would be a hard job if you wanted to be really good at it. If you were going to be a lawyer, it would be a hard job if you wanted to be good at it. I think to try to be good at this job that I try to be good at, um, it's hard work. I am still, even 20 years in, up very late, many nights doing paperwork. I do not do paperwork um, at school very often. I might run copies or something, but really I spend the greater, greater majority of my day with kids uh, doing kid work at, at work. And then I leave most of my paperwork at, at home or to be done at home. Probably not the popular answer, um, but definitely prepare to, to work a lot in this field. That's, that's interesting. I mean, I agree. And for sure, when I first started off, I worked you know, a lot. And I did a lot of work at home. Um, but I do tell my, uh, you know, the students that I work with now, I've had some practicum students and I say, you know, try, try and make kind of a barrier or you might burn out. I mean, I felt like if I was staying super late and missing time with my kids at home, yeah. I probably wouldn't be a very good psychologist because I would be burnt out. I would be exhausted. I would be resentful. Right. Um, so I, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I think that it does take a lot of work to, to be good at this job. Um, but yeah, it's a fine balance for sure. It's a very, it's a very fine balance. And I, I think I expected that 20 years in um, a lot more of it would be almost on autopilot. Right. I mean, my, I have, beautiful templates for my reports that I'm proud of and I've worked really hard at for 20 years. And it would say, it would seem as though I could just call up a template and plug a kid's name in there. And that report should only take me an hour or something. And that is, that's still not the case. Um, so I am not saying that this is the way to go. And I certainly understand the idea of burnout. Um, but it is in order to keep up with it. I, I don't know how people do it and keep it within that time frame. Um, I know I've had other supervisors say, um, if you you know only do work at work, and if you aren't able to get to it, we'll talk about it, and then we'll you know talk about getting more help or anything like that. I've just that's never kind of come to fruition, and the timelines are still there. So um, 
I know that there are other psychologists that probably don't work as much as I do at night. <laughs> but um, some of that's a choice also because um, I really do enjoy doing it. So it's not um, it's not a hard it's not um, it's not an unpleasant task, I guess I would say. That's awesome. Ah, keep up to date with your paperwork, right? So my mom used to always say it's easier to keep up than catch up, and she's right. Um, and so I try to keep up as much as I can with the paperwork, which, again, is probably some of the reason why it's coming home with me. Um, I do believe strongly in psychologists keeping personal notes. And I think for a while um, I was trying to do formats that, really didn't kind of fit for me. So I, I feel as though it doesn't really matter what the format is as long as it gets done. And I do believe that most people would say if you didn't write it down, it really didn't happen. So I have more often than not had to go back to notes and say, you know, if a parent had asked uh, how many times did I see their child within a marking period or something, that needs to be documented because if not, then it looks like, you know, you are making up the information or you didn't see them or something. I've had a, a parent say, you know, my child says that they haven't seen you in the last four weeks. And I can easily go to my notes and say, oh, well, you know, maybe they're right because for, you know, one week they were absent and the second week they had a field trip and the third week I was supposed to see them. I was in a meeting and the fourth week, whatever, but it's all documented. Um, so what I used to do when I first started out, um, I had a giant binder, like a four inch binder. Um, and I had one sheet of paper per student in the school organized alphabetically by last name. And I had just handwritten those notes. So everybody would have a piece of paper. And then, and then if I saw that child on a particular day in a session or, a, you know, um, problem solving session or a peer conflict or something, I would just jot that down. Then um, I transferred over to Microsoft OneNote, which I really, really did love. It mostly, that was probably the one that fit the best for me. Um, it's just, if you're not familiar with it, like an electronic filing cabinet. And um, I had one electronic page per student. What ended up happening about maybe three or four years ago was that when we did an update or something in the district, I could no longer access my OneNote from home. So then I couldn't do my, my daily notes within that day. Um, and so then the notes started to really stack up and because um, I wasn't, I didn't have time to sort of transfer them over into this electronic format. And so I got really, really behind with those. What I do now is we primarily use Microsoft Outlook Calendar uh, in the district. And so on Friday, I print the week coming up one page per day. So my whole calendar is on the first page of our on the front page. And then the back page is blank. And then with within that day, any notes that I have to take any meetings I have any sessions that I see, I write on the back of that of that page with the student's name and then any notations that I might need to have for that. And then at the end of the week, those get filed into a big binder and um, it's more of like, like a yearly calendar, but I, all the kids' names are in there. It would be a little bit more difficult for me to go back through and grab particular information, but 
you know, because in OneNote, you could just search the student's name. Yeah. But I feel like this is the better way for me right now, just because that OneNote, when I didn't have access to it, just wasn't really working. Was there a question on that? We're good. No, I was just admiring that organization. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so self-care, you already brought it up, right? It's so important. And, you know, the... Um, example that they use when you're getting on an airplane, right? That um, in the event of a lack of oxygen, oxygen masks will descend from the ceiling. Please put your your own mask on first before turning to your neighbor and helping them. Um, so important. So I think this is a hard career. It, we are dealing with the most difficult situations and sometimes the most difficult students. And um, it can be very, very draining. And I do feel like we need to always have an idea about saving ourselves, but what, what works for you. And so I have in there, one person's yoga is another person's 350 pound tire toss. Um, because I, for a long time, believed that things like yoga and Tai Chi were what you were supposed to do for self-care. And I actually was disinvited to coming back to a Tai Chi class <laughs> um, because things that go slowly like that actually make me more anxious. And so I do a lot better with going to the gym and lifting super heavy weight and doing those kinds of things. That's more um, relaxing for me than a very Zen kind of yoga experience. Um, so I think it's important for everyone to have an idea of what works for them. Is it knitting? Is it retail therapy? Is it cooking? Is it, I don't know, getting a manicure? Whatever it is, you just have to realize what it is and then you have to do it. You have to make time for it, schedule it in your calendar. That's in my calendar too um, because I, I just think it's crucial. Totally agree. Yeah. And I feel the same way about yoga. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I don't know. I, I admire people that can do it. It's just not, it's not my thing. <laughs> I touch my toes. So yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> okay. Um, so practice what you preach. What would you tell a student to do in this situation? So a lot of times when students are coming to us asking questions, we're able to problem solve and Get, maybe give a little bit of advice or just some different ideas on how they could um, deal with a conflict or a problem. What would you tell yourself if you were the student that came to ask that exact same question? So number one, I feel like it's so important to, um, when you have a conflict with a coworker, go directly to the person and work it out um, instead of letting it stew or, you know, going and talking to a third person about it. You know, sometimes, this doesn't happen often. I have an amazing staff that I work with, but there are times when we don't see eye to eye on things or something. And, you know, going in, asking the person, you know, would there be 10 minutes that we could talk about the situation or I'm feeling a little bit of tension between us. The same thing though with parents. I feel like when we're in not great positions with parents, our um, instinct or what's easier is to sort of avoid that parent. Don't return the phone call. Don't return the email. Only have the bare minimum numbers of meetings. My experience has been fold that person in, have more contact with them, bring them in, have a, have a follow-up meeting, you know, follow up with a phone call and really establish that relationship because that's really where... Um, you're going to be getting that healing and where, you know, you can understand where they're coming from and they can understand where you're coming from. So it's hard though. It's hard to do it because I think we, most of us avoid conflict. Um, and so it's, it's, 
difficult often to approach that person and say, I really feel like we need to talk about something. Um, avoiding gossip and maintaining confidentiality. If you gossip about other people, people are going to question whether they can trust you, right? Our entire job is basically being a secret keeper. And um, so if you are known as the school gossip, who's going to come to you when they have a problem? Um, watch out for the faculty room. This is not to be um, something negative that I'm saying against teachers, but I feel like because I'm spending so much of my time in my office with kids, uh, they're often the trade-off to that would be there's not a whole lot of time for teachers to sort of step into my office and ask me questions. So when I walk into the faculty room, I feel like a lot of times it almost like invites a breach of confidentiality because there I am and somebody really needed to talk to me. And so they're going to say, hey, I wanted to tell you that so-and-so's parents let me know they're getting divorced, right? And then now eight other people know that information that didn't need to know that information. So um, when this does happen, sometimes I'll say, oh, hey, can we talk about that later? Or oh, hang on a second, let's step out into the hallway and talk about that just to convey that. But I don't think it's done maliciously. Like I said, I think people just like they see me and they're like, oh, yeah, I really needed to link up with Heidi. And there she is. And so then they say something that really not everybody in the room needed to know that. So. OK, I'm big on proofreading. Please understand that that was a purposeful typo on the top of there. Um, I read my reports and I reread my reports and I reread my reports and I tell my interns I actually love to edit. I was the editor for the um, Connecticut School Psych uh, Journal for a couple of years. I love to edit more than probably anything else as far as writing goes. Um, but there is nothing like a typo or having the wrong name in a report to make people doubt what kind of a psychologist you are. And I think with our use of templates and things like that, it's common to use those. And then we have this risk of, you know, having the wrong name in there. And one time I received a report from another psychologist who I think must have had someone type his reports. So he might must have dictated them or something. And then there was a typist that typed them. And the diagnosis that he had given the student was Asperger's. But this new typist obviously didn't know terminology. And so actually wrote in Asperger's as the diagnosis. That's terrible. Terrible, right? <laughs> I mean, it's sort of humorous, I think, to think about it now or to use it as an example of why you should proofread your reports. But I got that report and I was like, oh my goodness, how could this have happened, right? Um, so I think it's crucial for people to proofread and proofread again and proofread again. Um, and I know that's a, a part that my interns very much dislike, um, but I'm, I'm really pretty big on that. Um, also, I think taking the five seconds necessary to check and see who you addressed your email to every single email, right? Right before you press send, read that two line just one more time and make sure. Um, because I think, again, we are moving so quickly. And I know we use Outlook, so it autofills, like as soon as you start to type a name and it's just so easy to send information to the wrong person. 
And because so much of the information that we are sending is of a private nature, I'm just very, very vigilant about that. Um, getting involved in the field, going to national conferences, there's no better use of your money for the development of your profession. And then I love local conferences for networking and being able to have some face time with some other psychologists or people in the field. The last time that I went to NASP, and it's been a while, but the last time that I went, I took that booklet that they had of all the offerings and I planned my days like I used to plan my college classes. Like how many, what, what eight o'clock class can I get in? And then I'll leave that presentation a little bit early and get to the nine o'clock session for this or that. I think the last time that I went, I attended 45 sessions or something like that. So I got a lot of my, I got a lot of value out of my um, registration dollars there. So um, I do, I love national conferences. Once NASP gets to be within driving distance of, of where I live, I think I'll get back on the back on the bandwagon. I hate to make anybody pay for um, flights <laughs> I think, when they're so far away. Um, so that's it. I love conferences um, for those things. I was able to meet um, Dr. Sattler at a conference one time. Oh my goodness, I was like such a fangirl. It was so funny. Um, <laughs> but just all kinds of different um, conferences to keep up to date in the field and um, to meet some of the up and coming people and some of the established, um, real established professionals in our, in our field, I think is great. Okay. So I think it's important to kind of have your finger on the pulse of what kids are reading and what they're watching and what video games they're playing. And I actually had a, a teacher come to me years ago, um, saying that she thought that we needed to evaluate a student because the student was writing words that weren't even real words. And she thought for sure that the student must have an underlying written language learning disability. Because what the student, what the student wrote was, when I grow up, I want to be Fergalicious, referring <laughs> to Fergie from the Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> um, and since the teacher didn't know this, she assumed or, or just believed that the student had um, a learning disability because she was writing these gibberish words um, when it was actually words of a song. Um, so, you know, kids are right now really into Fortnite and Five Nights at Freddy's, those video games. Or um, I had a student the other day tell me that his favorite movie was Pacific Rim. And I said, well, what is it? What is it? He told me a little bit about it. And I went home that weekend and I watched Pacific Rim so that we could have something to talk about so that I could meet them sort of halfway. And, and what do you like about the movie? Or what is it about that video game that you like so much? Or when they're talking about, you know, um, Fortnite skins. I understand what that means. Um, so I try to, to try try to keep it current with those kinds of things. Um, the way that I try to quote unquote read the books that they're reading is that I will often check those books out of either our school library or my local library on CD and listen to the books. Again, just so that we can have some common talking points. I also have um, actually everybody in my school uh, this year has a sign outside of their uh, classrooms or their offices that indicates what books they're reading right now. Um, I've had that up there for for years, actually, and kids will often make comments about that. So um, I just sort of rotate the books that I read, you know, the kid-friendly books that I read. Um, and kids will stop in or kids will make comments to me about that, like when I see them in the hallway, how much they liked that book or did I finish that book yet? And so I think it's a really nice way of creating just another relationship point with children. 
prevent foot and mouth itis. So I think it's really important, especially for interns or people who are new into districts to realize what the district policies are or the town opinions. Um, like, is it a conservative town or is it a liberal town? What can you say about things like birth control? If a student were to ask you about that, there are some school districts or some towns that would say that abstinence is the only thing that you can talk about, whereas there are other districts where you could talk about some other options. That's just sort of one um, example of, of where I would want to know what the district policies or town opinions were on certain things. Staying up to date in the field, um, subscribing to listservs and reading journals, obviously, blogs. I love the blogs. And then I really, really enjoy the Facebook groups that are out there and obviously podcasts. Um, I'm always searching, you know, I typically like to load my podcasts in in the morning, like right before I get into my car and just, you know, I have a rotation of different ones that I listen to, some that are school psych related and obviously some that are um, my other interests, but just really trying to stay current with some of the things that are out there in our field. Um, the other thing, um, or one of the other things is that even if you don't believe in something, knowing about it, because most parents are going to go to the internet before they come to you about something. So things like um, vaccinations or um, does sugar or red dye have anything to do with ADHD, all of those kinds of things. So when a parent brings it up, I will say, oh, I'm not really sure about that. Let me look into it or um, let me do a little bit more research about it. And then sure enough, it usually comes back around either with that parent or another parent. So just trying to always be sort of searching and researching for uh, different things that are sort of hot topics in psychology or education. Um, I run a lot of groups in my school. Um, so I love counseling groups and tend to run um, more process groups. I don't do a whole lot of things like worksheets or anything like that. Um, so some of the more popular groups that I do run have run um, I always have a very, very healthy um, banana splits group going. So banana splits is actually a curriculum that is um, available for purchase that deals with families that are split up most of the time, divorce, uh, but for other reasons as well. Um, I run my banana splits groups uh, grade-based. So I run third grade group, um, a fourth grade group, and then a fifth grade group. And the kids who have been with me since third grade, so my fifth graders, I often think that, goodness, they could run the group on their own. Um, it's just a really nice opportunity for kids to see that there are other children in the school that might be in a similar situation to them. Um, I was a child of divorce, and I would say that we didn't really talk about it in school at all. And so I met who I believed to be my first friend who also had a divorce in her family in fifth grade. But now when I reflect back and know what the statistics were in the mid to late 70s, um, that probably 50% probably of the kids that I sat in class with were in a similar situation as, as I was, but we didn't talk about it. So I really felt like I was the only one. Yeah. Um, and I always share that story with with the kids at school so that they understand why I think it's really important that um, if they would if they want to, that they participate in the group. It's voluntary. I do have parents sign 
consent for those kids to join me, but it's voluntary. It meets over lunchtime. I never go into the cafeteria if a kid sh doesn't show up and say, you know, hey, all the divorced kids, it's time for banana splits. Um, and the kids seem to really, really enjoy it. At the end of the year in banana splits, there's a picture on there of the quilts um, that are hanging in my office. So at the end of each year, the children that are in banana splits take one of those quilt squares home and um, they need to complete it with a family member. So, um, and it could be anything, a drawing of their family or something that their family likes to do together or something like that. And then they're hanging in my office and the kids always really like to see them from year to year. And especially if older siblings have participated in banana splits, they like to find their square and then their older siblings square from a couple of quilts ago. Um, a lot of my kids like to do uh, different volunteer jobs around the school. So it's a really nice way, you know, if we're going to be a, you know, the bulletin board crew or something that we can work on social skills, we can work on leadership. I've also had some of my groups who might be working on things like organization and social skills run the school store. Uh, it's a really nice way of talking about different organizational strategies, who's going to be the foreman of our job today, who's going to be a worker bee, those kinds of things. I have previously run book clubs where, you know, just like a traditional book club, we would read maybe a chapter or so a week and then talk about the different um, situations that might have arisen in the book. Um, I have a number of books that I tend to use um, for things like that, you know, things that are books that might deal with peer pressure or bullying or something like that. Um, also in the couple of years ago, um, bereavement groups, um, those kiddos. One year I had nine kids in the bereavement group. Um, that was a really, um, that was a challenging time just because we had so much grief and bereavement in, um, in the school with, you know, a fairly large number of children. And they always really loved to do fundraisers. And then we would give the money, you know, to the charity that would speak to the reason why they were in the bereavement group. They, always felt like doing the fundraiser gave them power um, against that disease, whether it be cancer or something like that. So um, they always really loved to do the fundraisers. Uh, let's see what my what my office looks like. So um, I run, um, I use a lot of the zones of regulation. So uh, maybe two or three years ago, I went and got that giant zones speedometer. Uh, blown up at Staples. I think it costs like $5 or something. And it's uh, it's larger than a poster size. So that the large metal pan that is on it that basically turns it into um, a magnetic board is the largest size of, I think it's an oil drip pan. I just went to like AutoZone and got the largest oil drip pan and then glued the poster to the oil drip pan. And then that's attached to the wall of my office. And so all of the kids in my groups, um, every kid has a magnet. And then when they come in to check in for group, they place their magnet in the zone that they're feeling. Um, and they always, they all really love that. Um, and then they get to take their magnets home with them at the end of the year. Um, this is the calm corner in my office. So it's a, you know, great big sort of comfy armchair. And kids can come in anytime as long as I'm not testing. So um, what I have on my the door of my office, I have one of those tap lights. And if the light is on, kids cannot come in. That usually means that I'm testing or meeting with a parent. Um, 
So as long as the light isn't on, anybody could come in and take a little break in Calm Corner. There's a little uh, timer that's on the wall and all of the kids know that the uh, parameters for a break would be one minute, two minutes or five minutes. At the end of that time, the timer goes off. I'll take just a couple of seconds to say anything you wanna talk about, are you feeling better? What zone are you in? Things like that. But also in Calm Corner, I have a couple of um, different resources that are there. So some zones information, um, take five breathing, which we uh, really use a lot of in my school. The kids have really latched onto that. They really like that. Um, how big is my problem? Some different grounding activities, things like that. Um, on the bottom there and the floor, the uh, box that's next to the Calm Corner are some glitter bottles that we've created. And uh, there's a clipboard that has some coloring pages, um, different things like that that kids might like to use when they're taking their break. Um, this is outside of my office. This is a free high five. The kids absolutely love this and it costs me absolutely no money. It's a drawing or it's a tracing of my hand on a piece of construction paper and it says free high fives and it's right outside of my office. <laughs> and that is honestly one of the best things that I have probably done in my office in the last five years. <laughs> great. They love it. But all day long you hear slap, slap, slap. <laughs> it's, so it's, great. it's just, it's great. The kids absolutely love it. And it, it will eventually fall apart just because everybody's touching it all the time. And <laughs> there's a day that, you know, after it's fallen off and I haven't gotten to it, everybody's like, where's the high five? Where's the high five? It's so cute. So, um, okay. So what can you do this year? Um, these are the easy things, right? Self-promotion. If somebody asks you to do something, pretty much I say that I can do it as long as I'm qualified, like trained to do it. Um, I can do that or I have to. I rarely, rarely would ever say it's not my job or I don't have time in my schedule or I'm so busy. How about you email me for an update? Oh, I can't stand that one. Like when a teacher says, you know, or a parent says, you know, could we get um, some regular communication or something going. And, and then the teacher was like, well, can you email me? And then I'll send you back an update. I'll, I'll forget. I just end up setting um, a lot of reminders or, you know, two weeks ahead and put in the calendar as an appointment, email someone those parents um, to give them an update on group or something. So I set those notifications for myself instead of saying to somebody, I'm so busy. How about you email update? I just think it sounds better. Basically, we're saying the same thing. I feel very, very strongly that psychologists should know achievement tests. <laughs> um, so that was a really big part of my training um, in Pennsylvania because when I worked there, really the school says did all of the assessment um, for the evaluations. So um, that coming to Connecticut was a new sort of um, perspective on assessment to have the resource teachers do the achievement test. So I would say for starting out school psychologists, if you have not specifically been trained on achievement tests, I think that it would behoove you to sit down and spend a little bit of time with a resource teacher or ask if you can observe them doing the testing. I just think having the knowledge of the tests makes you all the more valuable meeting when we are talking about the results. So it's really hard, I think, to um, sort of combine all of these different pieces of information and see, you know, sort of tr to, to triangulate it and see what 
comes out as a true weakness if you're not familiar with this giant piece that we're sort of, you know, assessing and hanging our hats on. So I feel pretty strongly about that. Um, if you don't know the answer to something, know where to get it. That's easy, right? You, I think there's no harm in saying to someone, I'm not really sure. Can I get back to you on that? Um, and I think that, um, that that's a really good practice. Um, I also try to get back to people within a day when they've emailed me or called me. I try. Um, sometimes the things get lost in my inbox. So, um, but I do try very, very hard to, to set a one day turnaround. Um, volunteering to speak at things like PTA or PTO meetings, um, explaining to people what the school psychologist does, because based on what school you're in, I think that they may not know. Um, and I think that it's nice or it's, it's extremely important for people to understand all of the different things that a school psychologist can do. Um, I would say participate in spirit days or community events, um, like if you can dress up for Halloween when everybody at school is dressing up for Halloween, or if it's spirit day and everybody's wearing their school t-shirts on the first Friday of the month, you should do that too. Um, also things like community events. I try, you know, we have a jogathon every year in our district that is a fundraiser for kids at the elementary level. I attempt to go. I can't always go, but if I'm free that Saturday morning, I'll make an appearance. And, and I just think it's really nice for people to understand that you're, you know, a really crucial piece of that school's puzzle. Um, getting into the classrooms and learning about the curriculum, because if you don't know what third graders are learning in math, how will you know if somebody is not on target, right? And so I think it's um, really great to be able to say, you know, if a, if a parent calls and says, I'm really worried about my child because they're really struggling in division, for you to be able to say, oh, I think division is something that we really introduce in fourth grade, but let me check with this, with this child's teacher and check and make sure, but I think that they're just now learning that, or that's a skill that, they is really fairly new to them. So struggling isn't something that, you know, I'd be really concerned about. Um, making yourself an indispensable asset in your school. So again, running groups and clubs, chaperoning field trips, if you can, right? If they ask, and if you can, I would say that's really great to do that. Participate in assemblies, uh, field day, right? Run, go out to field day, run a station if you can. Um, cover for breaks. Sometimes if I'm walking down the hallway and I see a teacher, you know, on their cell phone in the hallway and, and they're trying to make some sort of a phone call, but they're looking into their classroom to make sure that the kids are, you know, on task and doing what they're supposed to be doing. I will say to the teacher, go ahead and take your call. I can stand in here for a minute. I think that that's just a really nice way of supporting your coworkers. Um, running a club. So again, in the intro, it said I do the environmental club. I do the drama club. Um, I have previously run student council. I do the sign language club. Those are all before and after school clubs. Um, and it's just a really nice way, I think, for kids to see us in a more natural environment. And I get to see them in a very natural environment instead of the testing setting or a classroom observation or something to see how they do, you know, with other kids and, um, Things like that. I love doing the clubs. I think it's a, it's a blast. Uh, I'm never the disciplinarian, right? I'm always pretty um, straight with my administrators about that. I will process an event with a student. I will talk about next time 
this is what you could do, or next time, what would you do, or where do you think things went wrong here? But I am never, ever, ever going to be the person who pulls a kid off the field trip or makes them stay in from recess or anything like that. Um, and I do think that helping people celebrate what they do at school, everyone is working really, really hard. So you can look online, there's a whole big list of uh, different school employee celebration days or awareness days. Beyond that of um, Teacher Appreciation Week or um, American Education Week or whatever that is, there's a School Lunch Lady Day, there's a Custodian Appreciation Day. I, you know, and it's easy to send an email out to staff. Hey, today is Custodian Appreciation Day, make sure you, um, say hello to the custodians and tell them that they're doing a great job or to make a poster for all the kids to sign. These are things that I've done in the past and I think it really means a lot to people. Oh, goodness, there's so much to talk about. Um, writing an article for your school newsletter if you can, providing workshops to um, either paraprofessionals, we call them teaching assistants in my district, or to parents. Um, get something in your office that is enticing to kids. It's a great way to either get them in or get them out. And that's actually where the guinea pigs kind of came in. Um, I, oh goodness gracious, probably eight years ago or so came into my office one day and there was a guinea pig in my office. <laughs> and I wasn't really sure what it was doing in there. I had did not have any intentions on getting a guinea pig. And it was just kind of showed up there in a cage with the food and everything. And um, the school secretary called and she said um, that a family had dropped it off because the mom said that the child had talked to me and I said that I would take it. That never happened. Um, but they were moving and needed to show the house and the mom really wanted the guinea pig to get out of there and the kid had said, oh, Dr. Mack will take it. So um, I ended up with this guinea pig and she was amazing. And her name was Kenya, and she was just very, very sweet. The kids all loved her, and she kind of met, you know, met her demise and natural death. Um, and then we got Finley, and he just actually passed away um, a couple of weeks ago. And now I have the two new school guinea pigs, um, Mooney and Myrtle. And um, it's a really nice way for kids to come in and say hi to them in between like lunch and recess. It's very controlled. It's also a really nice um, thing that, you know, if a kid is reluctant to go back to class, if I can't get them out of my office, I'll say, here are the guinea pigs and I'll walk you back to class. And we scoop up the guinea pigs and then off we go to class. Um, it's just a really nice way and really nice connection. If your school allows pets, um, to have something in, in the office that the kids really like. And then, you know, it's a talking point and, you know, parents come in and check in on the guinea pigs when they're in the school. It's really cute. Oh, okay. And then another thing is celebrating school psychology awareness week with pride. So I love spa. It's my favorite week of the year. And so I do a theme every year. This is dating back to 2012. Um, in 2012, I did a Lego theme. Um, so I um, had asked on FreeCycle which is like a local um, trading swapping site. I think most towns or like uh, larger areas have a free cycle. So I was able to get those big Lego blocks and every teacher, actually every staff person got one. Um, and then I just made a little sticker on those four blocks and it said, thanks for helping our students build bright futures. And then that year I made like Lego shoes and I made a Lego headband that I wore that year. So it was all sort of Lego themed. Then the next year, I um, actually did the, 
a you rock theme. And that summer on my bucket list, ever since we had moved to Connecticut on my bucket list was working tobacco because I it was so foreign to me living in Pennsylvania. I didn't understand what this whole practice was. So I said, someday we're going to, I'm going to work tobacco. And so we did. Uh, my husband, my daughter and I worked tobacco at a local farm. Um, and the particular field had these giant rocks and we just kept stepping on them. And I actually said to the farmer, can I take about a hundred of those rocks? And he said, sure, please do. And so I took them in these giant buckets and I cleaned them up and then I just write you. And then every single staff person got a U rock that year for um, school psychology awareness week. Cost me nothing. Right. Um, The next year was a gratitude theme. So I did these little magnets for everybody. Um, Like a thrift store find. I think I found like a, um, a bag of a hundred of those magnets for like a dollar or something. And so everybody got one with that little quote on there. And then I also that year gave three sticky notes to every staff person and indicated that they needed to write a gratitude note to another staff person and give those away. So each person had to give away three. That was really nice. Um, 2016 was a kindness theme. So I had a kindness wreath outside of my office. And I just put add a ribbon to our wreath when you do an act of kindness for someone. And then I did, um, I made, I got those choose kindness bracelets on Etsy. I think I paid um, $50 for a hundred bracelets. And then, and so that was one day. And then um, later on in the week, I gave everybody those kind bars and it said, your kindness does not go unnoticed. Right. And then that was my kindness wall outside of my office. 2017, I did a pineapple theme. So I did these little um, wish bracelets for everybody that um, just had that little meaning of the pineapple. That was like, usually I do a, um, like a gift on Monday and Friday of School Psychology Awareness Week and then send emails out every day. And then on the Friday um, with the pineapple theme, um, I found this quote about um, pineapples. I thought this was so great. So the average pineapple makes about four and a half cups of fruit. It's about 36 ounces of pineapple chunks, but cans of pineapples typically are like 20 ounces or 46 ounces, meaning that a single pineapple um, is more than what you need for um, for a single container. So every time you eat a pineapple from a container, somebody else somewhere has the rest of your pineapple. So you're basically breaking bread or sharing the fruit with a stranger, either from hundreds of miles away or from the classroom across the hall. So I gave everybody on the staff just one of those little pineapple cups um, so I try to do it, you know, fairly inexpensively. Um, most of the stuff is like either, you know, I, I search around for weeks on like when pineapple's on sale or whatever. Um, this year, the NASP theme was unlocking potential. So I grabbed onto that. And on the Monday, I gave everybody um, a keychain um, that was just about unlocking potential. Happy School Psychology Awareness Week. Um, those were like a bunch of like these antique keys I got on Amazon for I think like $10 or something and then just put a little string on them to make them into a keychain. And then I had a broken keyboard um, that didn't work anymore. And um, so I popped all the keys off of it. So the idea of like passwords are unlocking potential as well. So who helps you unlock your potential? Um, And so those were little um, paper clips. And so I gave that to each staff person and they were to give it away to the person that helps them to unlock their potential. And then on the Friday of that, of spa, I did, um, 
a key lime seltzer, like seltzer bar in the teacher's room. So key lime, just trying to keep with the theme. <laughs> okay. The wrapping up. So um, I think, again, just my idea of school psychology is school psychology is being a piece of the puzzle, believing in yourself. This is my absolute favorite sign that I have in my office. A child gave me that probably three or four years ago. And I just love that because I do believe in them and I believe in this field and I believe in the people that work so hard to work for kids. And I just think it's, um, it's an incredible field and I'm just so excited about it. And thank you for listening. That's Kenya. When she- uh, <laughs> so cute. So cute. Uh, do, you, do you take Kenya home on the weekends? Okay. She- yeah. So Kenya has passed. She was the first one. But yes, guinea okay. pigs. Actually, they're in the same room with me right now. They've been so good because I thought for sure <laughs> as soon as they heard my voice that they would start whistling. Um, so, yes, I, I take them home on the weekends. Um, so they live at school, you know, like overnight by themselves, Monday through Friday. And then Friday night, I bring them home. Um, I know that some teachers have like classroom pets and they let the kids take them home. I just feel like that is a huge um, responsibility and possibly even a burden on a family that like isn't a pet family or even like to have someone else's animal. So kids always say that. Can I can I take them home on the weekends? And I'm like, no, I, yeah, I'm just not into that. Um, but they're great. They're great pets. They're super easy. That makes sense. Very cool. You're so uh, thrifty, and um, I feel extremely inadequate as a school psychologist now. (laughs) Should I I click out of my presentation? Can I see? Yes, please do so that we can see you. I have a a couple of thoughts for you. Um, I I loved all of these ideas, and I think that they're they're so um, just energizing for not only for you in your office and with your kids, but for the building and for the school culture. So I, I love all of the, some of them fairly simple, like sending an email on those special days for um, faculty and staff. I'm wondering, I had a, a, an early career person inbox me a message um, just today. And this person said, I can't ask my, I can't ask the lead psych because last time I asked, they said, you should know by now. And so, and then um, when she posted somewhere in one of the forums or something, um, that same supervisor was upset with her. Um, And so I wonder about that. I mean, that's, I feel so terrible about that because if you can't ask, Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you don't, if you can't ask things that you don't know, then, then, you know, I don't know what, what else you would do, but just wing it. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) I think, um, you know, I have a really great diagnostic team at school. So it's very easy, you know, for people to send an email out and just ask questions or what would you guys do in this situation? <coughs> we, have a, we have a monthly diagnostic meeting, so we get some FaceTime with one another. But I, I mean, I've often loved the Facebook groups and things most for that. You know, when someone will, will post, you know, I, and I, you know, I love, I love the community aspect, like when someone posts on a, Sunday afternoon. Oh my gosh, I don't have my ABAS manual. Can somebody look this up? Like, I love that, that people do that. Um, but also um, just to be able to bounce that off of people. And I actually feel 
I feel bad for very isolated school psychologists, you know, the people who are, the, you know, the only one in a district or the only one in an intermediate unit in Pennsylvania, you know, you would have these giant um, mm -hmm. areas that you had to cover and you might be the only one. So I think it's really important for those people to get some kind of peer consultation or just some, a buddy that they could talk to. Maybe it's someone from their cohort, you know, that you could reconnect with and yeah, that's tough. I totally agree. Yeah, so early career folk out there, I think um, keep connecting. And if we don't have questions, it must mean we're not, you know, still growing. And I think that would be really sad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm nothing but questions. <laughs> <laughs> so we had some um, great little comments. Somebody uh, mentioned in the poll that words of wisdom – that um, helped her, although she's retired now. She said, I love my supervisor's goal for me in my first year. Keep your nose above water and learn to bob up and down. And while we're having, uh, you know, while you were speaking, we were having a little, a little sidebar here about you need to be recruited to the communications committee on NASP who, who designed some of those spa activities and whatnot because that's <laughs> some great stuff you had there. Yeah. Really creative. I do. I love that. I think it's funny, though, because um, school psychology awareness off school psychology awareness week often coincides with um, teacher appreciation week. And so there's a difference, you know, just those right. words, appreciation versus awareness. Yes. Are so interesting because they mean different things. So teacher mm -hmm. appreciation, we get these gifts to teachers. We appreciate you. School psychology awareness week. We feel like we need to be telling people about our career. Uh, I don't have a problem doing that, obviously, <laughs> but uh, I just think that's so funny in the difference in those A words. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I'm looking for any like last minute questions if anybody sees anything, but I think that, you know, really, really great stuff that uh, will get people mm -hmm. thinking and certainly, you know, I'm not even early career and I'm just like, oh yeah, no, that was <laughs> what I need to keep in mind too. I want to also remind people that um, I think we're going to be back on the 6th and we're going to be talking a little bit more about selective mutism, which we had an episode previously uh, that was really great. So you guys might want to check that out and then tune us in for kind of this follow-up part two, selective mutism. But okay, just we've just got people, you know, saying that it was, you know, thank you for sharing all this. And <laughs> did I miss anything, Rebecca? No, nope, I think we've just got some appreciative, kind comments. Shout out to my colleagues and intern who are watching. Erica's <laughs> yeah. fan club always. Oh, yes, it's a fan club out there tonight. Um, and I, I like the pressure on Eric to write his book because I totally agree. He's she, we need to keep that pressure up. <laughs> Slowly, um, And just wanted to remind anyone who's listening, um, you know, after this broadcast, after the live version, feel free to continue to the conversation and questions and comments on the Facebook pages or on Twitter um, or in comments on YouTube. And thank you for being here tonight to, for those of you who are with us. All right. Night, everybody. Thank you so much, Heidi. Bye. Thanks, Heidi.